Well, thank you, Tommy, for stepping in today and leading singing for us. And uh, I don't know about warming up my voice. I'm in, here lately, I've been trying to preserve it for, for the lesson. I've been struggling with a, a cold and, and kind of have a residual cough. But I appreciate that uh, you thinking about me there and, uh, and, and appreciate your leading singing today. Thank you so much. Uh, we appreciate that. And uh, we have a good number here today, a good number for our breakfast class. A lot of beautiful children here. We had a, a full classroom for Sister Marla. So that's a good thing to have uh, children here today, and we're grateful for that. I also have my sister here, and I'm always glad to see her. And uh, so it's good to have her uh, with us today as well. Today we're going to be studying from the book of Job. So you can go ahead and turn there in your Bibles or find it on your smartphone, whatever is preferable. Uh, and we're going to discuss the book of Job today. And it's not with great pleasure that I do discuss the book of Job. Because ultimately, human suffering is one of the most difficult subjects to talk about in general, isn't it? And Job is, is a story that really captivates our imagination and also shows us what true suffering is. But the first thing I want us to kind of think about is, is does anyone here not have any problems? Okay, my wife, thank goodness. But that won't last long, will it? Problems. Man, I wish I didn't have them. But I do, and if you were to think about it long enough, and I don't want you to do it right now, but I'm sure you could find some issue, some problem, something that's plaguing you in your mind, right? Because it's never perfect, is it? No matter what, when we look into our lives, when we look into our relationships, when we look into our work, when we look into our churches, yes, even churches, it's not all perfect, is it? There's problems. In fact, I was fascinated to find this. There is a group called the Union of International Associations. Sounds fancy, doesn't it? And what they have done is they have created a book called the Encyclopedia of World Problems and Human Potential. Think about how big that book must be. And you can find it online. But what it is, it's a long-term project started out by this group of nonprofits and people. It's a think tank kind of thing. Started in 1972 to create a resource to present the world as people experience, it says. And to show people what's really going on in the world. And they conclude by saying the world is a complex and rapidly changing so that anticipating and planning in the face of a myriad of interconnected problems. So think about this. How many entries do you think are in this encyclopedia of world problems? Well, I'll cut to the chase. 
56,000 world problems and, and growing. So just, just some of them. Here's some problems for you. Some of you may have these. Sleep disorder. And I'm not going to go through all 56,000. <laughs> Sleep disorder, mood disorder, misuse of resources, heat rash, cheap manufactured products, substance abuse by physicians, congenital disorders of the lipid metabolism, adverse conditions of trade, Tele television viewer fatigue. That's the one I need. Unbridled individualism. <coughs> Vitamin D deficiency. Hurler's syndrome. Reliance on cash exchange. That's another one that I don't have. I don't know if that's a bad one or not. Osteomyelitis. Virulent genes, immoral literature, meteorological disasters, denial of religious liberty, reservation overbooking, <laughs> ecological imperialism, sex guilt, collapsing of the social security system, eye irritation. Now that's just some of the world problems that this encyclopedia names. But guess what? There's thousands more. And if we were going to go through this audience today and ask, what are you suffering from? What is your problem? I guarantee it we would have about a thousand more, wouldn't we? The problem of having problems. The problem of pain and suffering. And Job is one of the oldest books in the Bible. It's one of the oldest books. In fact, most scholars think that it was probably written about a man during the patriarchal age, during the time of Abraham, or maybe even before, because of the longevity of his years and because of his possessions. But the question fundamentally in the book of Job is this. Listen to me. Why does bad things happen to good people? That's it. That's it in a nutshell. That's what the whole book of Job is about. Why on earth does bad things happen to good people? There's good people in this room. There's good people we know. And every one of us in our minds could recount some story, some true story, of suffering, of something bad happening to good people that we know, that we love, that we care about. How can it happen? Some person put it like this, if God is all-powerful, which the Bible says clearly that all things are possible with God, and if God is all-good, which the Bible always says that let no man say when I am tempted that I am tempted of God, for God does not tempt anyone. In Him is no darkness at all. Then how do we have bad things happening to good people? In fact, in the book of Job, it says it like this, Man is born of woman in few days and full of trouble. 
Yet our existence is plagued with suffering. The the psychologist Carl Jung said it like this, there is no coming to consciousness without pain. There's literally, literally no existence that we know of, period, that does not have pain as a part of it. And pain is multidimensional, isn't it? We talk about physical pain. We talk about emotional pain. We talk about relational pain. We talk about spiritual pain. And it's there. It's real. It exists, doesn't it? So today we turn to the book of Job to maybe find some answers. The first thing that we want to observe about Job is his character. Who was Job? And in what state do we find him in? In Job chapter 1, it says that Job was a man that was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. Doesn't that sound good? It sounds like that's a guy that you want to emulate. That's a guy to be admired. And it says not only that, he's a family man. Seven sons, three daughters. He has great possessions. He's got everything that you would want. And it says, in fact, that he even worships God. He even makes provisions sacrificially for his children. And it says that he is the greatest man in all these. Isn't that someone that you would want to be? He's got it all. He's a family man. He's a businessman. He's a religious man. He's got his, he's got his house in order. But does that preclude him from suffering? You know, and many today are selling something like that, aren't they? That if you're good enough, that if you pray enough, that if you come to church enough, if you give enough, then nothing bad will ever happen to you. But is that the story we get in Job? No, because Job is doing it right. It doesn't mean that he wasn't a sinner, but he was blameless. He was a good man. But it did not preclude him from suffering. So why did he suffer? The thing that Job, the book of Job, gets to us real quick is this. There is a cosmic conflict going on. Did you know that? We think about our world and we think about what's going on in it and we know that there's wars being fought. We know that there's battles being fought all over this world, but there is a war going on right now, a cosmic conflict going on right now and our lives, your life, my life is a part of that. And Job doesn't leave that out, the book of Job. And in fact, he tells us that, yes, here's the story of Job. Here's the story of a man who's faithful. Here's the story of a man who's suffering. But let me tell you something. There is a story behind the story. And it's that cosmic conflict that's going on in this this world. Look at verse 6 and 7 of chapter 1. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? Satan answered the Lord, from going to and fro on the earth. 
and from walking back and forth on it. You see, there is an enemy to your life. There is an enemy to your health. There is an enemy to your wealth. There is an enemy to your family. There is an enemy to your church. And right now, that enemy is vying for control, eternal control of God's free creatures. Don't ever forget it. That there is a power out there fighting for your soul. And he will do everything in his power to bring you down. There is an enemy. And all of the pain and all of the suffering and all of the death is rooted in his work. Don't forget it. Many people turn to God in blame, but it's really the work of Satan. Jesus said it like this, He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in Him. When He speaks a lie, He speaks from His own resources for He is a liar and the father of it. If you're looking for blame, I I got somebody for you to blame. And it's the blame that's in Job's life. It is Satan. There is a cosmic conflict going on. And he wants your soul. The nature of evil is revealed in this because evil is ultimately a derivative of goodness. It's not a positive thing. It's a negative thing. Just as Coldness is the absence of heat. Evil is the absence of goodness. It is, as C.S. Lewis, evil is just goodness spoiled. And what we find is Satan is numbered with the angels. He was a created free being who rebelled against God, just as Judas was once numbered with the disciples. Satan was numbered with the angels. But here's what I want you to know. Verse 8 is that this cosmic conflict that's going on between Satan and God, guess where it intersects at? It intersects at your life. Listen to what God said. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him and around his household and around all the things that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possession and have increased his land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will surely curse you to your face. So the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. You see, that cosmic battle intersects at your life. That God is fighting the forces of evil through our lives. He's fighting Satan through the life, through the faithfulness of Job. That's where the battleground is. That's where the battleground is today. It's in your life. 
It's in your work. It's in your relationship. It's in your schools. And Satan will do anything to take it away from you and to rob you of the most important thing, which isn't your possessions, which isn't your family. It's ultimately your faith. There's a cosmic conflict going on. And God is opposing Satan through our lives. And ultimately, Satan wants your heart. He wants your heart. He wants your allegiance. He wants you to be so mad at God that you curse Him just as Job was tempted to do but did not. Look at his suffering. It's, it's a story. He gets four messages. Four messengers. Four messengers come into Job's house. And the first one comes in and he says, The Sabians have raided the oxen and donkeys and have killed your servants. And I alone have escaped. And it says, While he was still speaking, another messenger comes in. Now I want you to ask yourself, when was the last time you had a bad day? Reminds me of the story of the doctor. And the patient, the patient went in to see the doctor. And the, and the doctor said, I got some good news and I got some bad news. <clears throat> the patient said, well, hit me up with the good news first. The doctor said, you're going to die tomorrow. And the, <laughs> the patient was like, well, what's the, what's the bad news? He said, well, I forgot to tell you yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> and that's kind of what Job's going through. That while one messenger comes into the door and he's telling him bad things, another messenger comes in and he says, Fire from heaven has consumed your sheep and servants. Another one comes in, Three band of Chaldeans have raided the camels and killed your servants. And then the last one, Your sons and daughters were drinking wine and a great wind arose and caused the roof to fall in on them. What would you do? That's, that's a bad day, isn't it? Job says, he arises and tore his robe and shaved his head and he fell on the ground and worshipped and said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. And all this he did not sin. And then, as if that wasn't enough, his possessions, his family, what's next on the list? His health. If I can't get him through his possessions, if I can't get him through his family, I'm going to take the last thing away from him. I'm going to take away his health. And bowls appear on his body. And it's so much so that his own friends don't even recognize him. And when his friends get there, no one is even able to have the courage to speak for seven days. And that's probably how it should have stayed. Think about it. How would you comfort Job? What would you say? Think about all the bad things that people have told you to try to comfort you. And that's what happens with Job. Because his, his three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, really can only tell him one thing. It's your fault, Job. Over and over again. 
what must have been something you did, Job. And isn't that how we usually think of things? When I talk to people in the hospital, sometimes the question comes, what did I do to deserve this? And sometimes the answer is absolutely nothing. And that's where Job was. But his friends offered him no comfort. He says in chapter 16, verse 2, Miserable comforters are you all. And then we're not even going to bring up. Well, I guess I just did. The person who was supposed to inspire him, his spouse. His spouse comes to him and what does she say? Here's her chance to encourage her husband to get him through. And she says, curse God and die. Think about that suffering for just a moment. But the story is, and the story is this, and the lesson is this, that Job perseveres. That Job endures. That Job gets through it. And in fact, it's within his suffering that God ultimately reveals himself. Look at Job chapter 38. In Job, God reveals himself to Job and presents himself as sovereign. He says in chapter 38, verse 4, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? To me, if you have understanding, who determined its measurement? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it to what were in its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy, and God gives this speech and claims His sovereignty, His omnipotence, His goodness. And He says, Job, I'm God. And ultimately, you have to rest in that. And that gives us to our next answer that we find in Job, is that ultimately the answer to suffering cannot be rationalized. And that's what his friends try to do. They try to think it through, don't they? Well, it's got to be the answer here. We've got to think about this. Let's, as long as we think about it, we can figure it out. But the ultimate answer to suffering isn't found in thinking. It's ultimately found in faith. It's found in faith. And faith isn't always easy, is it? And we must, like Job, persevere and let our lives be seen in God's sovereignty and trusting in faith. In James chapter 5.11, it says, Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and have seen at the end intended by the Lord that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. The story of Job ends with him living in a state of double blessedness. And that ultimately the work of God is not complete today. The work of God is not complete in a cemetery. The work of God is not complete in a nursing home. The work of God is not complete in a hospital. The work of God is not complete here. And we haven't seen the full work of God. But we have to trust and have faith that He will Help us, and He will reward us.
We live in a fallen world where sin, suffering, and death are rooted in the rebellion of Satan, his angels, and guess who else? Us. And there's natural law. And there's evil that we do to each other. Turned on the news this morning, it was like horror story after horror story. Two people stabbed in the face. A lot of times we can ask ourselves, why are we allowing this to happen? Why do we let so many people go unfed? Why do we let so many people starve? God has granted us freedom. God has given us freedom to choose. and He could have created nothing. Or He could have created a bunch of robots. But instead He created free creatures who have the ability to choose Him or to choose something other than Him. And if we choose something other than Him, guess what? It's death. It's not life. And lastly, what I want to tell you in conclusion is that when Job gets the bad news, how many messengers came in to him? There were four, right? There were four messengers that came in and gave him bad news. But let me tell you today that God has given you four messengers. Matthew. Matthew chapter 1, 21, it says that behold, she shall bear a son and we shall call his name Jesus and he shall save his people from their sins. There's an answer, isn't there? That just as Job received this message of death, God has given us a message of life. That there is an answer, that there is an answer to the suffering and death and his name is Jesus Or Mark chapter 16, go unto all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. There is an answer. Or in the book of Luke, when Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to who? To the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty to those who are oppressed, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. There is an answer. Job asked a question in Job 14, 14. If a man dies, will he live again? And Jesus in the book of John says this, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. I don't know all the answers, but I know who the answer is. And his name is Jesus. Have you surrendered your life to him? Because in the end, our lives and everything that we have in this life, we're holding water, aren't we? You can't hold on to it. There's not one thing in your life you can hold on to. If you can think of it, tell me. You can't. Not even your own life can you hold on to. There's only one thing that you can hold on to, and that is the faith that you have in Christ. The love that you show to people. That's the only thing. As the old hymn says, time is filled with swift transition. Everything that we know about this life is change. And God... And His Son Jesus are the only things unchanging. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So follow Him. Follow Him. 
And the Bible says that if we want to follow Him, we must turn to Him in faith to believe that He is the answer, to repent of those sins that contribute to the cosmic revolution, that rebellion, that instead of following after self, that we will follow after Christ, to confess Him to be the Son of the living God, and to be baptized, immersed into His body, the church. Maybe you are a Christian, but you've let this life beat you up, and it can, and it will. Turn to Christ now. If there's any need today, we want to sing this next song to encourage you. And this church will stand with you and be with you and pray for you. If you have any need, won't you come now as together we stand and as we sing.